Hey, Scott Walker here on our podcast, You Can't Recall Courage. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Boy, uh, 2020 just seems to be the year where it's just nonstop. There's uh, always amazing things going on, uh, good or bad, things to talk about. Uh, you know, coming in this year, I figured things would be heating up closer to the elections in November, which clearly it will be, but but with uh, coronavirus, the shutdown, uh, the protests, um, all that's happened, it's just unbelievable times. And so I thought this week I'd talk in particular uh, about something I wrote about today, uh, Friday in the Washington Times. It was online late yesterday. Obviously, as I said last week, that what happened to George Floyd should never take place in America, period. Um, I mean, it's just one of those things where you see the video, it is clear-cut, use of force by law enforcement, uh, absolutely has to be addressed, but we've got to make sure that both the, the that and the overall feelings about race in this country have to be addressed, and they have to be based on. Uh, uh, we have to base our actions as we go forward on facts uh, as we go forward with any reforms that are out there. So I was looking at the data. There's all sorts of facts out there. Uh, I went back and looked at some stuff that Politifact uh, checked as well, and as of June third. Mapping Police Violence, which is an organization, Mapping Police Violence has counted 28 unarmed uh, African-Americans who have died at the hands of police as of uh, 2019. So they do updates, but as of June 3rd, Mapping Police Violence said 28 unarmed black Americans uh, were killed or died at the hands of police in 2019. 51 unarmed white Americans uh, died at the hands of police. So, one, the overall number is not as big as many think, although one is too many. So don't get me wrong. What happened to George Floyd or, or others like him should never happen, nor should it happen to anyone else for that matter. Uh, but 28 African Americans, 51 white citizens died at the hands of police last year in 2019. But here's where the part is. You say, well, okay, well, does that make the argument that this is all for nothing? I don't agree with that either. If you, I still think there's a very legitimate concern uh, asking why the percentage is so much higher for African Americans than the overall population. If you look at Washington Post, actually has done a database. They started years ago. It's very interesting to look at. But it shows that black Americans represent, as we know in the population, about 13% of the overall U.S. population. Still, African-Americans account for about a quarter of the police shooting victims over the four and a half years that this data has been collected in this database. So clearly, we have to show that black lives matter and that demands action. Uh, I pointed out here, it shocks some people. Uh, In fact, it shocked people so much a few years back when I said it, PolitiFact did a check on it, found it to be 100% true. Uh, At the time, I said I was... The, the first and only governor, we were definitely the first. I don't know if anyone's done it in the five years since, but or six years since I signed it. But I signed a law that requires an independent investigation each time there's an officer-related death. It had broad bipartisan support. I signed it in my office. Uh, I remember Michael Bell, whose son uh, was killed in the Kenosha area, was there. There were plenty of other families there. Um, the law, as we point out at the time, not only protects potential victims and their families and loved ones, that's for sure. But it also protects law-abiding police officers, people following the rules, following the law, doing what they're supposed to do. 
I said an independent review takes away uh, any speculation, any suggestion that somehow the police or the DA was connected to the police would would somehow not be be treating this seriously. Uh, That's been a tremendous reform, and I believe other states should look at that. I also believe that other states and Wisconsin can look at more ways that we help law enforcement agencies, all of them, police departments, sheriff departments, state patrol, state police. Uh, How do we help them screen, train, and monitor police officers, peace officers, law enforcement officials? How do we help them screening so we know the people we're getting in the way? And how do we train them properly and not just do it one time, but ongoing training? How do we monitor them? Uh, making sure there's clear standards on the use of force uh, and that they have to be followed by by not just the training but the testing and the monitoring to be effective in the field. One of the things I pointed out last week is that ongoing supervision is so essential. Just think about this. So many law enforcement professionals, so many officers in particular, are working right on the front lines in high-stress areas, high crime, high-stress, high-issues. Um, compare that to the military. Over the years, I, I've gone many a time as governor to places like uh, Afghanistan and Kuwait, and I've been to Europe, I've been to South Korea, I've been to Guantanamo Bay and Cuba. I, I've been all over the place to see troops that are deployed, and I know typically it's it's months, six months to sometimes a year, a little bit longer, depending on the appointment, but deployment, but typically not longer than that. And I know for people who are deployed, uh, that there is this this issue of uh, looking out and ensuring people don't have post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. Uh, obviously, a real issue, real concern, real threat. Uh, we need to make sure that uh, we care for our service members when they come back home and their families. The same should be true for our police officers, for our law enforcement officials. It's just one of those things where we, we, realize, we should realize that there's a real traumatic uh, concern in that regard. And so we've got to uh, we've got to take that into account. And to me, that should be part of the reforms of acknowledging uh, that law enforcement uh, professionals overwhelmingly are in high stress, uh, high threat areas doesn't make in any way. Let me be clear: doesn't any way uh, justify what happened uh, to George Floyd or to others in situations like that? No, absolutely not. Um, that that's why we've got to make sure that we screen, that we train, that we monitor, that we continue that, that that's ongoing, that there's good supervision. All those things are part of uh, the reforms that have to be about. But it's reforming the police that makes sense. Defunding the police does not. De- defunding the police just does not make sense. Statistics from the FBI, and the, the last complete year available is 2018. But the, So from 2018, it shows us that 89% of black homicides in America were committed by black offenders. That that's data specific to the. Don't, they don't have it for large numbers of of, of uh, perpetrators, but they that's for single victim, single offender. Eighty nine percent of the time, if the person killed if the black if it's a black homicide, if the person kills African American, eighty nine percent of the time the person who committed that. Uh, homicide is also African-American. African-American citizens deserve protection from crime and mayhem just as much as any other citizen. And so that's critically important. When you talk about defunding the police, you're taking it away from everyone. Uh, White, black, Hispanic, Asian, you name it, uh, everyone's going to be uh, at risk under that scenario. And it just does not make sense. It just doesn't make sense. We saw the numbers the other day. 
the burst the first week uh, that there were protests in uh, in uh, Los Angeles. It was it was mind boggling. I posted this on social media. They they said the week of May thirty first to June sixth, homicides in L.A. County or in Los Angeles, not just the county, uh, according to LAPD, went up two hundred and fifteen percent. Victims shot went up fifty percent, fifty six percent compared to the past week. These are real numbers. And think about how bad things are, even with the police department being highly constrained. Imagine if you defunded it entirely. Imagine if there's no police department. <laughs> to me, there's no amount of social workers or other feel-good things are, are going to make the difference. Those are important elements of the overall plan, but they can't be supplanting uh, certified law enforcement. Again, the key is to reform the police, not to defund them. But there's more, and I, I want to talk about that when we come back. Hey, Scott Walker here. Thanks for coming back and joining us on You Can't Recall Courage. As I said before the break, we should reform the police. Talked about a bunch of ideas about how to do that state by state and across the country. We should reform the police, but not defund them. If anyone should be defunded, it's Planned Parenthood. I mean, think about the impact of Black Lives Matter. Well, to me, Black Lives Matter begins with the unborn. Think about Planned Parenthood. A lot of people don't know this, but uh, the organization's founder, Margaret Sanger, and this is according to PolitiFact. So, you know, there have been a lot of different accusations made about her, but I want to read exactly what PolitiFact said. That PolitiFact stated that Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, wrote in her 1938 autobiography, quote, that she was willing to talk to virtually anyone as she advocated for birth control across the United States. This was her quote's Allow always to me an aroused group was a good group, and therefore I accepted an invitation to talk to the women's branch of the Ku Klux Klan at Silver Lake, New Jersey, one of the weirdest experiences I had in lecturing. Those were her quotes taken out of a PolitiFact check of some statements about Margaret Sanger in the past. Now, PolitiFact in a different check also affirmed that Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, quote, in a December 10th, 1939 letter, she wrote, she said this, we don't want word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population and the minister is the man who can straighten out that idea if it occurs, if it ever occurs. Those were her direct quotes. When people reexamine history, it should be worth, you know, at a time, I think when people are reexamining history, when we have people questioning, even people like Jefferson and Washington, certainly of late Christopher Columbus, People should be looking at the past statements and actions of the founder of Planned Parenthood. This is not hidden. This is out in plain sight. More so than just the background of Margaret Sanger and what's involved with Planned Parenthood, we should look at the facts as well. The facts show that black babies are boarded at a much higher percentage than white babies in America. A report published in the American Journal of Public Health showed that black women had the highest abortion rate by far, 27.1 abortions per 1,000. In contrast, white women had the lowest rate at 10 per 1,000. To me, it's simple. Black lives matter. That should apply to unborn babies as well. Now, it's interesting, looking back in time, there have been all sorts of statements like this over and over again largely ignored by the Main Street media, but, but ministers, clergy uh, in the black community have repeatedly talking, talked about uh, the problems, not just with abortion overall and the moral 
certainty of protecting innocent unborn life, but particularly have talked about how it has targeted the African-American community. In fact, years ago in 1977, the Reverend Jesse Jackson wrote a column for a National Right to Life publication where he said, Jesse Jackson said, quote, if one accepts the position that life is private and therefore you have the right to do with it as you please, one must also accept the conclusion of that logic. That was the premise of slavery. You could not protest the existence or treatment of slaves in the plantation because that was private and therefore outside of your right to be concerned, unquote. That's what Jesse Jackson said in 1977. Now, some people might say, well, he evolved, he changed. Yeah, what changed? <laughs> he changed his position abruptly in 1988 when he was running for president as a Democrat. You see, that's the litmus test. We found it even this time with Joe Biden, who overall has had a pro-abortion stance all throughout his four decades of life in the United States Senate and then as vice president. But now that even that wasn't enough. He had to take it a step further. The one glimmer of, of any rational thought when it came to life was the feeling that many have had, even Democrats in the past, that the taxpayers particularly those taxpayers who fundamentally disagree with that principle of supporting abortion, shouldn't be asked to pay for that. Even that position has changed uh, for the 2020 elections to get through the, the primary because the, the, the radical extremists of today's Democrat Party have so overtaken. Uh, I mean, the irony is, yes, the, the, uh, the Republican Party, the RNC, uh, without a doubt, across the country and certainly in states like mine is the party of the pro-life movement. But we don't banish people who don't have that viewpoint. We just clearly state our viewpoint. The vast majority of office holders Republican have that point. The vast majority of activists have that point. But there are some who don't necessarily agree with it. When it comes to Democrats, you have to be 100% and you have to be to the point where even now, uh, with Ralph Norvin's statement earlier this year in January, you have to be in a position where we're even talking about allowing a situation to go forward where a life is taken even after a child has been born. How is that any different than the idea that that uh, hours later, if you took that baby home, you'd be charged uh, with murder uh, or, or some degree, at least of homicide, and yet it's not the same uh, in the hospital uh, when somebody decides to make that decision. Well, we've seen over and over and over again, people like Jesse Jackson in the past and many others today point out that that disproportionately affects the black community. In fact, in America's largest city, a black baby, get this statistic, a black baby is more likely to be aborted than born alive each year. According to the health department in New York City, between 2012 and 2016, black mothers, quote unquote, their terms terminated 136,426 pregnancies. At the same time, black mothers gave birth to 118,127 babies. Now compare that. The, the birth rate for white, Hispanic, and Asian women was much, much higher than the so-called terminations. Black lives do matter. They matter when it comes to reforming the criminal justice system to ensure that equal protection is ensured for everyone under the law. 
but we should not do that by defunding the police. African-American citizens have the, a right to feel safe in their homes and communities, just like anyone else should across this country. And reforming law enforcement agencies will ensure, all across America, will ensure that every citizen is treated fairly and that every citizen is safe. The two have to go hand in hand. We want to make sure that everyone is treated fairly, but also that every citizen is safe. You don't get that by defunding the police. You only get that by reforming the police. And so when we're talking about safety, the ultimate safety begins in the womb. The open safety begins with protecting innocent, unborn life. We cannot live in a society where there is such a clear bias towards aborting black babies. You see, black lives matter. Thanks for joining us. Until next week, keep fighting for freedom. I'm Scott Walker.